My name is Rachel White, and people call me the skeptical showman. They say it like it's a contradiction, but it's not. For more than a decade, I've been researching and building tools for the spiritually homeless. You know, the curious but critical thinking people that, like me, have had a tough time navigating a landscape of gurus and grifters and crystal hippie people. Searching for a way to fill what Neil Gaiman called that God-shaped hole all while, of course, not getting taken. As the host of the Skeptical Shaman podcast, I want to help us all develop a map of this confusing terrain. I'm going to talk to everybody, the curious, the skeptical, the cynical, and yes, even the true believers. Together, we can safely explore the world of Wu and get closer to some meaningful existential truths. This is the Skeptical Shaman. All right, everyone, welcome to the Skeptical Shaman. Today, we're going to talk to Abigail Kachinas of Sacred Healing Arts. Did I say that correctly? Kachunas, like a sneeze. Kachunas. <laughs> um, you are a healer, practitioner, actress, artist, all, all kinds of things, and also the author of a substack that I'm a big fan of called My Post-Cult Life. And yes. So we're going to be talking about that, but not just about that. I think the cult thing has been done in our culture, <laughs> pun intended. But we, what we haven't gotten to are some of the deeper, more woo pieces of it. Mm-hmm. And in particular, I'm always interested in individuals like you who've been through some serious shit, like serious shit, mm-hmm. and over an extended period of time. But you don't give up on spirit, on creating on hoping or do like it hasn't shut you down and that kind of inherent stubbornness or tenacity is really Mm -hmm. impressive to me in people and in particular with you so why don't you go ahead and start and introduce yourself a little bit and then we'll get into your your fucked up background and how you're not in that anymore (laughs) (laughs) what you learned and and chat about it yeah uh, well, I'm Abigail Kachunis, and yes, was a member of actually a cult within a cult for about 14 years. I am based in Los Angeles, but originally from Ohio, and I am an artist and a practitioner, so actor, painter, writer, and my company, Sacred Healing Art, was actually created sort of, uh, I guess that cult experience and healing from that trauma was the catalyst, along with some other things. Um, uh, and it kind of an intense spiritual connection with my grandfather on the other side. Um, that was the catalyst for creating my company. It first started with channeled paintings that incorporate color therapy and crystal healing. And there's all sorts of magic that goes into their creation process. And, um, so those came first. And then I expanded into offering, um, healing sessions with crystal Reiki, shamanic sound, and, uh, sort of like a custom intuitive aromatherapy. And then I also do intuitive readings. I have workshops and doing a few events coming up and a couple of art festivals. But yeah, it's sort of just this hodgepodge of a company that is just meant to be a holistic platform to support anyone in their spiritual growth, healing from trauma, transformation. And the Substack is, yes, writing about my post-cult life, 
but not necessarily from a place of blame and anger, but more from how his spirituality helped me in healing. And ultimately, the goal is for me with the Substack is to really provide a space for others who have gone through similar things so they don't feel alone, um, to educate people. Because a lot of what I write about, I see the parallels of that situation in society and not just, you know, well, the cult was an acting class linked to Scientology. So we'll just say that. Um, <laughs> it's funny you say in society, because one of the things I'm very passionate about is that our culture you know, the root mm -hmm. of the word is consistent with cult, is a Russian nesting doll of cults. Oh. And, you know, if I talk about Nexium or mention the vow or I talk about certain things with other people, you'll get this interesting knee-jerk reaction of like, yeah, well, you know, like who's walking into the Scientology Center? Who's signing up for these things? Like what's wrong? Like this inference of a deficiency. Uh -huh. And number one, every cult survivor, whistleblower, advocate I've ever met is exceptionally intelligent, exceptionally like high in emotional intelligence, all these, you know, various skills and attributes. So in other words, they're not deficient. I think on average, they're probably above the norm in almost every measurement. But the other pieces, if you're in society, you're in a version of a cult. Uh -huh. And it sounds silly, but I have to tell you, I remember when Peloton you know, those stupid stationary bikes. And I'm someone who yeah. used to spin them. I used to have a road bike, so I get it. But when that caught fire and every one of my friends had a giant hulking Peloton bike, uh -huh. you know, because I'm from downtown Chicago and like a tiny living room. Yeah. Almost yeah. A couch wouldn't fit, but that goddamn thing was in there. And how they talk about their favorite shared instructors on the little screen and all of that. And as someone who's worked in, you know, go to market like sales strategy and differentiation work and branding and copywriting. I was like, oh my God, you guys are on a cult. Like you all just bought the thing. Because that's really mm -hmm. what cults are. Are you buying the thing? Politics, mm -hmm. religion, you know, consumer products across yep. the board. Oh my it's God. all culty, all of it. And if you're watching a television, which is an interesting word when you break it apart, or you're, you're sort of parroting sound bites back to anybody, you're mm -hmm. you're in a cult. Uh, my friend Roger, who by the way edits these, thank you Roger, because I know you're going to be listening. Um, sent me a, a YouTube video of these Furbies in a circle. Have you ever seen this? No. Do you remember Furbies? Those oh yes. Furbies? Oh yeah. And you would wave a hand, and they would like start talking to you and move. And they were activating each other in a circle and just talking nonsense to each other. And Roger goes, "This is society." <laughs> And also, it is accidentally, or maybe on purpose, the most satanic thing I've ever seen in my life, a ceremonial circle of Furbies with their creepy eyes opening and stuff. But it was it's funny because it's like one Furby says something, activates the other Furby, but nobody's really talking. It's not extemporaneous. It's not organic. It's just stuff, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't follow that edict, and it's why I like, you know, for want of a better term, studying cults, talking about cults. Because mm -hmm. I see parallels. I see parallels in dysfunctional relationship dynamics in my life. Yes. Family, with romantic, like it's all kind of the same. And it's therefore, all. I think everyone can benefit from hearing from people like you. Uh huh. Yeah. So your acting coach. So I've read articles about her in the Hollywood <laughs> Reporter and in other places. She's a goddamn character. Oh, she oh. had to have been charismatic because she was so extra. That when I read about her getting carried in on this big ornate chair, like <laughs> as though on a litter, like she was Julius Caesar kind of shit. I was like, yes, this is 
this is certainly an interesting person. Why don't you just mention a little bit about about the acting school and also maybe reference some of the other coaches that do the exact same shit? Because you sent me other articles. Abigail. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. It's the same model and it's a cult, but people are signing up for acting coaching. Mm -hmm. So why don't you just share a little bit about how you got in, what it was like, and then also, if you don't mind, and I'll prompt you, but uh, mention how COVID and Zoom Hello, oh, yeah. you guys and, and oh, create her influence off of you. So the yeah. silver lining of COVID. A big silver line, a yes. gold silver, platinum gold silver line. <laughs> we love it. Um, and, and if I start to ramble off track, please just redirect me because I could talk for hours on this. Um, so, yeah, I, I studied at uh, the Gloria Gifford Conservatory and I had arrived in L.A., and I come from an addiction background, so I knew that I needed kind of a support system. And I think it's human nature to want to be part of community. And, you know, I, I interviewed with two of her officers. So there was a, a structure in the class, which is very similar to Scientology, where you have um, officers and captains, co-captains, and they sort of help her run the school. And they get a slight discount on their tuition. And so I interviewed with two of her officers and I asked a lot of questions and they provided these answers that seemed very great. I ended up in class before I even met her. And I remember the first day of class when I met her, she was teaching abroad in Italy and she'd just gotten back. And she came in and the whole class just sort of rises to their feet and erupts in applause. And you're like, what? Like, what's happening? And, um, you know, she walked right up to me. She looked me in my eyes very deeply, shook my hand. And I was just like, oh, I think this is like my mentor, you know? So there's very much a, a placing of the person on a pedestal. Um, in this case, a literal kind of pedestal. Pedestal, right. Yeah. Which, to, to be fair, she wasn't carried in on this throne. <laughs> but she was escorted in by several men. Um, and, and then she had her special chair that she sat in. Uh, for the duration of class. Um, and classes when I started were part in theater and part at her house, uh, which is a whole other experience. Um, so yeah, for about two years, it was pretty much love bombing and, you know, spending special time with me, taking me out to meals, inviting me to go see a student's play, you know, having long conversations after class that were one-on-one -on -one, and essentially like grooming. Yeah, this was essentially what they call da data mining, which if anyone wants more information on like the the processes, um, Mark Vicente and his podcast is an excellent resource. Um, yeah, it's WTF. Yeah, yeah. WTF is on my mind. Um, uh, but yeah, so it was a lot of data mining and love bombing and just really kind of putting you in a position so that you feel, you know, ingratiated to this person that you owe them something. And she was actually uh, re responsible largely for the first acting job I ever booked. She sent me the breakdown. She said, share this with your agents, go do a drop off. When I had the audition, she goes, bring your pet snake to the audition. You know, so uh, not to, to, she was who she was and it was, you know, a, a wretched experience overall, but um, there were some, some highlights in there. Do you think that first acting job, you know, cause you'll hear a lot in the docu-series, The Vow about mm -hmm. the early wins for people who joined Nexium, mm -hmm. right? And what they experienced and achieved. And these were objectively real, measurable wins. Yeah. Or benefits yeah. or points of value add. And what I always try to explain to people is that's not an accident. 
that that happened. That's mm-hmm. not a bug. That's a feature. Mm-hmm. And it's done to sort of lull you into a sense of security and also mm-hmm. to make you feel obligated to do yeah. something in kind. Like, wow, you did something for me. This is, for want of a better way of putting it, whether you're paying her or not, the energy is that of a favor. Right. And it, it, I think it creates a bit of a, a, co-dyna- a codependent dynamic um, because she would also uh, institute and and in kind of encourage strongly, forcefully, this one teacher mentality, one director mentality. You were not allowed to study at other acting classes. You were not allowed to take a casting director workshop unless you checked with her first and she thought it was a good idea um, because she had a big thing, which is common in Scientology. It's concept of like studying with someone else. And she would think that other people's fear or limitations or their jealousy of you and trying to stop you would kind of cloud your brain and take you away from her. So that also kind of... She never said she was a Scientologist to you, did she? Um, She didn't position what she was doing as like, hey guys, I'm going to roll out some Scientology tools. No, she never did until I questioned her and then she had a conversation with me privately and said, well, if you'd like to study, I can take you there. So then that was a whole other thing. So she brought me in through the president's office, which is where the celebrities like Tom Cruise and John Travolta enter. It's an underground private parking level and you go in through a special gate and you come into a private office. Um, and and that's kind of how I got in the in the way that's, you know, really interesting. The way the church is set up, at least Celebrity Center in Los Angeles, is there's they have everything in divisions because, you know, it's structured like the Navy, like the military. And there's division that's public. And then there's the division of like the celebrity. So because I came through her, I'm in this celebrity division. So I have a separate course room than the public. So I'm taking courses with celebrities or family of celebrities or, you know, highly successful entrepreneurs, business people, because it wasn't just all artists. Um, But they really kind of create uh, a hierarchy of importance to kind of inflate your ego. And 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 she did that as well. And what you were saying about, you know, the, the booking of the job. And I'm actually this is coming out today in my in my Substack. Because um, I am celebrating two years of freedom today marks yeah. the two-year anniversary of leaving the cult. I just got chills. <laughs> so timing is one of those things in shamanic work that never lets us down. And I'll mm-hmm. schedule things and have no idea why they're going to be important on the day. Mm-hmm. That it never lets me down. It's so wild. It's like a little week. Yeah, yeah. And I was Congratulations, like, oh, I... yes, in two thank years. you. It's a big deal. Yeah, it's a huge deal. It's a great time to kind of get some perspective and do what you say, what you call an audit, which I really like that, that terminology. Do an audit of how far I've progressed. Although but, fat warning Scientology also calls it an audit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God damn it. I forgot. I forgot. They ruined it for us. <laughs> um, but uh, what, what was I saying? Where oh, was I? See, going in through this special... You know, select. Oh, right. So the hierarchy. Right. Okay. So, so what would happen when you would book a job or have a huge breakthrough in in her class is, um, you know, she would put you up on stage. You would be celebrated. Everyone would applause, congratulate you. She would, you know, commend you. And usually within the span of a couple weeks, whether it was directly related to that booking or something else, there was a, an, an attack. Mm-hmm. whether, um, you know, basically a public attack usually and a private attack to kind of break you down and destroy you again. And well, you're never going to be successful because you're off track and that was just one job. And, you know, 
kind of get you right back into that needing her and feeling like I can only this is I cannot book a job unless I have this person. It is kind of the, the structure that gets set up that were present very specifically in Nexium. And the mm-hmm. concepts of paying tribute, so you get your applause, you get, you know, the poems read aloud to you, and we're paying mm-hmm. tribute to Abigail. And then the, quote, feedback, right out. Right. Which was never constructive feedback, and it was always public, and it was basically a humiliation ritual. Right. It was public yeah. humiliation. And, um, you know, when you're in a group scenario, then she would have other people say things that would support her point of view. And um, one of the things that would also happen, I'm just trying to pull all this back into my my frame of reference. Um, when you're in that group dynamic, it's difficult to go against what she would say. So even if you felt in your heart that you believed differently, you knew that you would be attacked if you said, um, well, actually... Like I, I've just witnessed pure gaslighting. Like I've witnessed some, her giving a direction to someone on stage and she's like, you didn't do that. You were supposed to go over there and pick up that vase. And everyone in the audience is like, we saw him pick up the vase. Like, what is she doing? And now being out of it, I mean, then it's confusing, but being out of it now you go, oh, those are just the little tactics to keep you kind of under that undue influence. Or as I was saying to someone the other day, you know, being in a cult is essentially like going through life under the influence. It's like, drunk driving, high driving, whatever, because you are under um, the influence of this person. And would you consider now being two years out, almost like being energetically, spiritually, psychologically sober? Yeah. Like this is another kind of sobriety for you. It is because you're, you start to kind of unfurl, uncover. It's like an onion. It happens in layers and you're like, wait, this is actually a piece of me I forgot about. And you go through life and it's very subtle, very small things. You know, uh, you know, I got roses the other day and there was baby's breath in them. And at first my reaction was like, I hate baby's breath. And I said, wait a minute, do I hate baby's breath or do I hate it? Because when we used to give Gloria flowers, she didn't like baby's breath. So anytime we would give her roses, there was never baby's breath. So I said, wait, is that me or is that the programming? So I go through life looking at things, perceiving things going, wait, is that my opinion or is that something from Scientology or from class? And by the way, more of us should be doing that. And anyone who's ever been in a relationship with a narcissist should mm-hmm. be doing that too. Because, you know, this all reminds me, by the way, of my childhood. Yeah. Oh, she's fully a narcissist. <laughs> yeah. As an aside. And the other thing that struck me about what you described is the parallels to corporate America. Uh-huh. And people don't want to hear about this. It's funny because other healers and things like that who you think are unplugged from the matrix for whatever reason, they will respond really viscerally if you bring up corporate America. They're not even in it. It's wild. Mm-hmm. So that tells you the pull of that particular cult. But I'll never forget at one corporate real estate firm, there was one year where I won basically any any internal marketing. And I had partners on projects and they won with me, but it was for a specific effort. And I won another award and and someone else won the same thing at the same time as me. And he called me up. He goes, why, why did it make you sound like a superhero? And I sound like an admin. I was like, I don't know, dude, I don't give them their stupid internal. It's no one cares. It can't go on your resume. But immediately after kind of like sweeping an award show for one mm-hmm. of a better way of putting it, a stupid one. Yeah. It's really not the metric, <laughs> you know, and I'm sure the sales leads I've worked with had influence and I'm sure, you know, there's politicking and nonsense, but immediately after that, our team got disbanded. 
um, I started getting hounded by a new manager who was really psychopathic. And basically 40% of that corporate team ended up leaving and going to other companies because of this reaction. Mm -hmm. With you describing your experience, I just now, as of today, your two-year anniversary, realized that probably wasn't a mistake. So for all this time, I've been like, isn't that something that, you know, they just weren't thinking and they're breaking, they're fixing things that aren't broken. And I'm like, wait a minute. <sighs> Someone got intimidated. And it's, it's a lot about control. And also the idea of saying things in a group setting where we all know that's not what just happened, but no one's going to stick their neck out and say anything about it because that's not the point of the exercise. And, you know, then you leave a meeting or something, or Zoom, for that matter, and your phone blows up with all these comments. It's like, where were you assholes? We could have all said that together in unison, you know? And yeah, they know better. There's this unspoken knowing of if you stick your neck out, you're going to be first on the chopping block. Yeah, you're going to be attacked. And, and it became a pattern so that after nearly every job that I booked, I was attacked in some form. And also, um, why does this keep leaving my memory? Oh my God, it left again. There's some, something very important about this. Maybe Do you think I've stopped wanting to land jobs? Absolutely. Absolutely. You didn't want the punishment. I didn't, I didn't want the punishment. Oh, here was the other thing. If you didn't, this is what I was getting at. The biggest part about that is if you did not express your gratitude to her and, and kind of put the responsibility of the win that you got to her, or to Scientology because she got you in Scientology, then that was a problem. That happened to me during the pandemic uh, when we were on Zoom with um, uh, a voiceover job that I booked and it was very ugly and everyone in the class was confused. And then I had one of her, quote, flying monkeys <laughs> yep. contact me afterwards and say, I thought you were really passive aggressive and this. And I'm like, I'm honestly literally confused. Like I publicly thanked her on social media. I told her in person, you know, I thanked her and, you know, it was just, well, you didn't get the lesson and you didn't realize it was A instead of C that got you this job. And I was like, what is happening? It's wild. It's wild. And one thing before we get to, you know, what COVID and, and removing her from your physical presence did for you and for others Mm -hmm. um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the financial exploitation of it, because this is something that is in every large group awareness training, every multi-level marketing company, frankly, a lot of just loose social structures. I know couples mm -hmm. that are financially enmeshed where one or the other exploits the other as a resource. So people don't always realize the financial piece of what happens to you. So the thing in my experience with the financial exploitation, um, a, a couple of points. One of the things, and anyone that is suspicious of a friend being in a, in a group like this or in a relationship like this or themselves being in something like this, is to look if there's a paper trail. Because if there's not a paper trail and they've kind of subversively done things in person, vocal, or had someone else send an email to you, look at that. So there were a lot of fines in class that were instituted and she had a finance officer. So she never collected money herself. Um, you know, uh, anytime we did a, a production or a showcase, we would pay for that because we were considered producers. She would double and triple and sometimes was, I guess it would be sextuple, six, six cast the same role, telling us that we would all get a chance to go up. 
Um, and it was good to have that experience in, in multiple in casting, you know, one role with multiple actors, everyone could work their day jobs and we would make it work. Right. So you'd be in this rehearsal process and all of a sudden there would be a, a giant temper tantrum from her that no one's showing up for rehearsal. She's going to cancel the play. Um, these people aren't going up cause they never show up. And you're like, okay, but you schedule rehearsal from 2 PM to 11 PM. You don't show up till 6 PM. Rehearsal sometimes goes till 4 AM. So it looks like the people that don't work night jobs are reaping the benefits of this. The cost of doing a play or a showcase is upwards of a thousand dollars. You are expected to bring enough costume options. So you need to have a few thousand dollars on hand to provide costume options or have a credit card and return it all um, for that show. And um, you're also taking time off of work to get to rehearsals and to do the shows. So you're not only spending money to be in it, but you're losing income. And all of a sudden, you're rehearsing four days a week. You're performing two nights a week. When is your, you're all of a sudden enmeshed and surrounded with this energy. There's also the kind of, uh, what's the term I like to use? Uh, labor trafficking, for lack of a better word. There's yep. a lot of errands and favors that are are not paid. I was doing some errands and favors for her during the pandemic, and it would take five to six hours of my day. And, um, and I was out in public running errands during a health pandemic. And she was like, oh, you know, like, she would give me like 20 bucks. And I was like, I just spent like six hours of my time, you know? And I was like, okay. And, and gas, let's talk about the price of gas. It's like, that's just my gas tank. That's not my time. And, you know, when I brought it up to her and I said something, she accused me of being ungrateful and kind of attacked me and turned an argument into something totally different. Oh, that I was using emotional tyranny against her because I was starting to get upset and cry a little bit. And I was like, I'm really sorry. I think I'm just being triggered. And I, I really, it means a lot to me to help people. Obviously now I work in the healing arts. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's in, the, the flipping the script. Yeah. So flipping the, the script and going, you're trying to man- emotionally manipulate me and da, 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 da. And then after that, then she started paying me $60 a day. But didn't say, never admitted I was wrong, just paying me the $60 a day, which if you live in California and you're spending five or six hours a day and you've got that $60, you all do the math and tell me if that's the minimum wage or not. I have to tell you, by the way, there are so many yoga studios that do this to people and people do not realize it. So I would teach workshops at one in Chicago and I asked one of the employees and it was Kundalini. So they all had to wear the white, they all had to wear the Mm. white head thing. They had to, you know, follow a really strict diet, no alcohol. Like it was a very prescriptive thing. And I said, what do you guys like get paid? Because I would watch them hustle. Like they were hustling. And they were like, oh, no, no, this is, I forgot the yoga term, but there's like a Sanskrit word or something for Mm -hmm. like, it's my stage. I'm volunteering. It's a work study kind of thing. Right, right. And it blew my mind because I knew the owner at a different level as Mm -hmm. were a subject matter expert or a facilitator of workshops versus an employee. Mm -hmm. Full set of Louis Vuitton luggage, bags, you know, car. She had several properties on islands. Like, you know, because she would talk to me, I think, in a different way. Mm -hmm. And what strikes me about, you know, that that model, this model that you've lived through, and a lot of corporate kind of things or MLM-y things, is the business model wouldn't work if they paid people a living wage. No, it wouldn't. And they know that. 
And so they do all these little tricks and it's very creepy. And the other thing I would say is there's a whole bunch of like, yes, you live in California, so I don't have to tell you, but like <laughs> life coaches out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That there's this idea of you have to pay to play. Yeah. Like if you pay me this yeah. exorbitant amount of money, you're going to get all these insights and pearls of wisdom and I'm going to connect you to people and I'm going to give you all this stuff you can't get otherwise. And then you'll make money. Uh -huh. It never happens uh -huh. that way. It's wild. And yeah. they could just run this scam. It is an yeah. unregulated industry. It is a very, oh, it's, uh, well, so is acting is fairly unregulated, especially with classes. And essentially what we were doing was paying to play, but we didn't even get to play. Because, you it's know, like it, Herbalife. You guys were buying, you know, supplements and trying to offload them or convert them into value. Assuming that you get higher and higher up that pyramid-shaped org. But the thing about pyramid schemes is there's only one person at the top. Yeah. And they're not moving. No. And you and know you, who if, that person was. Yeah. If you think about the fact that, you know, say, because we did a lot of Shakespeare, um, which, you know, I'm glad I did Shakespeare on, on stage. But, you know, you think, oh, this, this, this play has, you know, 10 major roles. And then a lot of, you know, um, extras or whatever. And if she's casting five or six people in each of the lead roles, how much money is that amounting to? It's a lot of money. It's if a each person per yeah, production, you know, but um, there was that. There was also the fines. You know, if you didn't take her direction, there was a time during a showcase where she I wasn't listening or taking her direction and I was fined $200 and I wasn't going to be allowed to perform in the showcase unless I paid the $200. And I was at the time like deep in credit card debt flat broke. I hadn't worked all week. I was, I worked in, uh, I bartended back in, back in the day. <laughs> so I had no, like, you know, I wasn't working because I was in these rehearsals and I just, and I had to come up with the money. So you start to rely on your credit card so that you can support this person. Or maybe if you did something wrong and she'd say, you have to make amends to me, amends is a Scientology thing. Then what's that amends? Oh, you could pay for her dinner, you know, which would be outrageously or, expensive. But yeah. It's not 20 bucks at the Cracker Barrel. It's just not, you know, or um, everyone was encouraged and AKA, I would say it was like a forceful encouragement to um, get her extravagant gifts or, you know, get her flowers for Mother's Day, for her birthday, for Christmas. Um, and the other part of the financial abuse that there is more of a paper trail, but because of the contracts with Scientology that you can't really do anything. You don't have any real legal recourse there. Yeah. Um, you finish a course or a service and everyone's like, you did it. You did it. And you're like, oh, my God, I did it. I realized all this stuff. Like, I feel so great. And you are ushered through this circuit. And then you are ushered back to the registrar's office where they're like, so next we got to do this. And because yeah. you're in this, you know, state of, and you know, I'm empathic, but all people are susceptible to this. When you're in an energy that's excited and happy, you're like, yeah, okay, I'll spend money. Why do you think ads are all like happy and, you know, in, in sales parlance, emotional ma term. manipulation? Yeah, they call it the lift. Yeah. The lift. It's a, it's a peak experience. Your brain gets flooded with happy chemicals. Yeah. And it's funny, the woman who owned the yoga studio was just uh, talking about uh, she and I would go at it because I'm not. I'm not an empath and it shows sometimes, thank God, right? And I would wrap up a meditation. I had explained to her multiple times. They are coming out of a theta wave brain state. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They are very impressionable and we have mm -hmm. to give them space. And I would direct them too and be like, 
take your time going home, ground, you know, like really be thoughtful, be gentle with yourself tonight, go home, spend some time alone. And she would, despite very, I'm a clear communicator. I think we can say that we'd come out with a clipboard and be like, let's get you signed up for a yoga package. Let's do this. Have you seen this product? And one time I literally snapped. It was last time I ever worked there. And I screamed something about how I'm not going to help her buy her pimp suit anymore. And someone actually started slow clapping like in a John Hughes movie. Like it was amazing. Because <laughs> I just like blacked out with rage kind of. Yeah. And because you can only say something so many times. And then you're like, now, now this is purposeful, right? Like it was purposeful before, but now there's no ambiguity. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that, that strikes me about what you're talking about is her putting these layers in there. And I've been around people who do that. Like, oh, talk to so-and-so in this department or the financial director or whatever. It's a financial and legal thing. It's plausible deniability. Yeah, she, they she doesn't in that meeting. Yeah, she doesn't handle the money. So she doesn't know what happens. She just knows. And the money doesn't come in through us. It goes to someone else. And if you, you Venmo him, and he brings her cash. There's a lot of cash payments also. A lot of those fines were paid in cash. So then there's no so records. Like she's paying taxes on all that? I have no idea, but I did. Um, I know, and she's spoken about it publicly. There's uh, been lawsuits against her for uh, from former producers not getting their money. It's and, an you know, interesting way to uh, what the kids call launder money. Too. Mm-hmm. That's why restaurants, strip clubs, things like that, money launderers use them to clean money because they're cash heavy business. Oh, yeah. Oh, and the time. It's interesting. I just thought of one la- final piece. She she moved, uh, you know, right before the pandemic. And we must have started. She moved in February. We must have started in November. And she selected a handful of students, eight to ten students that would come to her house in the beginning just once a week. Uh, then it increased as the time got closer to move, but we would be helping her wrap and pack her house um, because she is older and she is very overweight. So she cannot do these things. And why pay for movers to come in and pack up your stuff when you can have a bunch of students come do it for free? And you're like, but I bought you dinner. I made you steaks. And I'm like, okay, we're getting there at 6 or 7 p.m. We're leaving at 2, 3, 4 a.m. And you spent, you know, a couple hundred bucks on some steaks. Or, you know, a hundred bucks on Chinese food for everybody. But while this was going on, you were also screaming and yelling at people, sometimes hitting people. Um, it's never that, enough. That, yeah, that went on from November to February. And then there was the unpacking. <laughs> it's, it's, a lab, it's a labor camp. Let's yeah. get real. This but, is, oh, this is, yeah. I'm going to give you these old products I don't need anymore. And I'm like, I'm sorry, this blush is from 1980. Yeah. And I'm not sure you're you're a winter, Abigail, <laughs> if you know what I mean. I think I think you've got makeup handled kind of. Yeah, time. I was like or I'll give you these free half empty lotion bottles of expensive things and you're like, How old is this? And and, and yeah, oh my god. Thirty year old Lemaire. It's funny exactly this morning I was working on a post that is taking me forever because I keep having to delete and modify because I've started screenwriting. Like, I realized, like, oh, God, this can't read, like, my own oh, session. Dialogue. Yeah. I, I have to scrub this up. But I called one of the little subsection. It's all about boundaries. I had a new totem animal show up. It's about boundaries. It was an adorable baby crocodile. I was like, is this and the it, baby crocodile? It is. And I've really flipped the bitch switch. It's one of those shaman things where it just energetically happened, too. Like, it wasn't a thought exercise. And one of the little sections, I'm calling it the Rumpelstiltskin effect. 
do you know the fairy tale about Rumpelstiltskin mm-hmm. teaches the young girl how to spin a wheat into gold mm-hmm. and in exchange demands her firstborn child. And the concept of it is this is not an even exchange, right? Like you do healing energy work, you have art. When you sell it, it's because our, our society's currency happens to be money. We didn't pick that. We're living in it. Mm-hmm. And it has to feel even, that exchange. And what she was doing with you guys is very Rumpelstiltskin-esque. Mm-hmm. Like, while well, I'm helping you spin gold. It's like, okay, but you don't get my firstborn child. Unless, right. so when does this end, Mephistopheles? Like, to use yeah. the Faustian term. Like, it's this eating, eating, eating constantly. And at a certain point, you're just not obligated anymore. But there's a sense in... The reason I'm writing about it is a lot of small business owners and practitioners, maybe you've had this experience recently where people go, well, you know, I bought this from you. And it's like, thank you. But you don't get me forever anytime yeah. you want for like, uh-huh. it doesn't come with 24 seven lifetime shaman support. Like, yeah. thank you. But also, God, I got I got to go. I got mm-hmm. shit to do. Yeah, it's wild. The grabby, grabby, takey, takey. Mm-hmm. So um COVID happened and you weren't in her physical space anymore. And the spell, Rumpelstiltskin spell, yeah. started to get uh, handled. Yeah. So, you know, COVID happened and we went to Zoom and suddenly because of that, oh God, the unpacking parties, quote unquote parties, stopped. And I was like, thank you. Um, and, you know, we weren't seeing her because our class was, depending if you were in all the classes or one class, were either two or three times a week for five to six hours a, a, a time if they stayed on schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kept the same classes, but now they were on Zoom. So physically, there was nothing there. And, you know, we weren't allowed to have our phones during class. It was like being on jury duty. Your phone had to be off and be in a basket. And guess what? I was the person that collected the phones. And they actually nicknamed me the phone Nazi because when I was in that environment, I was very, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty like, I'm pretty like, you know, Um, but because of everything I was going through, I think I was really icy and cold and bitchy and became this person that I don't even you know, recognize. I was very hard. I was hardened. You know, my heart wasn't open. I was trying to protect this. Miss Vicente calls that, you know, the process of excavating the soul. Yeah. So I was really in that. So, you know, no one could talk about what was going on and if it seemed weird because we didn't have our phones. Well, suddenly that can't be regulated when you're on Zoom. So, you know, class is going on and things are happening that seem outrageous and you're getting messages from people like, what is happening? And I had certain students who were in class much longer than I was calling me like, I can't believe she said this. All she ever says is this about my weight. She would always attack women for their weight. And say, who do you think you are? You're not a leading lady. You're never going to be a leading lady. Why can't you just be happy with this? Or, oh, who do you think you are now losing all this weight? You think you're going to be a leading lady now? So she had her ways. And she definitely has students who are, you know, serious regulars right now. But those are like her cash cows. So she picks and chooses who she's going to feather her nest and who she's going to dominate and control to suck the energy. It's her version of the Bronfman sisters. Yeah. Wow. They get a very different experience of the program because they have right. a lot of money. Yeah. Right. Uh, and both uh, two of these people I'm thinking of, by the way, um, come from abusive backgrounds. So that's the other thing. Common thread with a lot of people that were in classes, they come from abusive or traumatic backgrounds, whether it's family or, or life. Or... And, yeah, exactly. Um, and they don't have the guts to, to leave. Um so, yeah, that started happening. And I only started seeing her, you know, once a week because I was helping her with these errands. 
And all she would do was just complain and gossip about people who had left class because a handful of people left in, in the beginning, you know, April 2020. Mm. And she was just saying, I can't believe this person's doing this and this person's doing that. This was one of my best friends. And I was still talking to her because she was my best friend. You're also, when people leave, you're not allowed to talk to them. That's not culty at all. By the way. And there's a giant smear campaign that's created after they leave. That's out of the Scientology handbook, isn't it? Yeah. All that squirrel busting, I believe. I I, I forget what they call it. And um, fit, there's a, what's the name of Leah Remini's podcast? Because it's the name of the policy. Uh, oh my God. Fair game. The fair game policy. Fair yeah, game. fair game. Yeah. So, you know, when my best friend left, um, which she then proceeded to disclose to the class this friend's sexual history, which was inappropriate. So she shares a lot of personal details about people. So- she, you know, she's gossiping to me like, oh, she's over here now. Oh, she's doing this now. You know how she met that guy? She did this. And she's telling me all this. And I'm going, this isn't true because I'm talking to my friend and I know she's in LA right now. She's not here because all this person was doing was having another student, a male student of hers, go online and investigate what, it, you know, where is she? What's she doing? Who's this person? He's like, I know where she met this guy. She met him at this hotel and da, 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 da. And I'm like, that is not how that story went down at all. So I'm thinking, wow, if she's lying about this. Who, what did, was she lying about all these people in the past that were my friends that left? And so I started as like the, some people use the analogy of it was the last thing that got placed on the shelf and the shelf broke. Because I've heard that you. I think so. I think yeah. so. And and I found, and so I was kind of like, some things aren't lining up. And I would notice that any day that I, the day that I would have to go to see her and on the way and when I left, I would be very frantic. I would be very angry and just exhausted. And I was just unhappy. And I was like, this isn't right. And especially after that job that I booked where I just was like obliterated in front of everyone. And then I had to go, the, I can't even get into the amends I had to make. Um, but um, I started doing my own research because my friend had been telling me this isn't healthy. It's a high control group. And she was talking about it on her podcast. And I said, let me do my own research and not use her as a source. So I found this book on tape there's a print version as well called Out of the Fog by um, something Dana Morningstar. And she has a great way of describing kind of the red flags and the um, modus operandi. And then she gives a story of one of her clients. She's a therapist. And I would be reading these stories and be like, oh, my God, like I, th this 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 is what this person's doing. And I started watching The Vow and I went, oh, my God, this is Scientology and this is like my acting class. And then I started watching Leah Remini's show and I went, oh my God, like I have to like, and, and it was, it was a very scary period because you have an intense cognitive dissonance. And I think that's what a lot of people that are still in class are experiencing. And that's why they don't have the bravery and the courage because they're just not willing to move through that dissonance. But it was, it was physically shocking to my body. And I, you know, broke down in tears. I was like filled with rage because I just didn't understand what was happening, but I knew I needed to get out. And so I was like, well, I'm going to need a therapist. And, um, and I, you know, met with her and I said, yeah, I'm, I'm planning on leaving. And I was telling her some stories and she goes, um, just so you know, like, this is not normal what you're experiencing and it's abusive. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Cause part of me was, I felt guilty. I thought I was abandoning her. She had a big thing about loyalty and abandonment. Yep. So, and I thought, oh my God, who's going to do all the things for her that I was doing? 
And I just, I, I, and I'm, I'm a hugely loyal person. So that's a, that's things. That's a sticking point for me. That's a really good way to manipulate me. Not anymore. Um, so eventually, and my therapist and a few other resources that I had researched, they all recommended doing the no contact thing. They're like, don't have a conversation. Do not confront this person. Just leave. And I felt like that was the cowardly way. Cause that's what she would say, you know, about others who had left their cowards they're this, they're that. They're never going to make it. That was the other thing. You would never make it if you left her. Um, so I was terrified. Like, is this it? Is this the end of my acting career? But I'd also really fallen out of love with acting and I'd gotten really depressed and I did not recognize myself. She so ruined something that you loved. Yeah. So I crafted an email, very short and very um, ambiguous so that there were no points to argue it. And I sent it on May 31st of 2021. And she immediately called me and I didn't answer. She immediately called my friend who was sitting across the table from me and she didn't answer. Mm -hmm. She had one of the flying monkeys reach out and text me. And um, a couple, I think a couple people emailed me. I ended up staying at a friend's place for a few days because in the past when people had left, she had sent groups of people to their house to try to talk them into coming back. Um, and, and that was that. And some people that stayed in class after I left who have since also defected shared with me, and this is all hearsay, you know, for legal purposes, but the smear campaign that was created against me was quite epic. Um, one of the points was that she was regretting that I ever knew where she lived because she was afraid I was going to go get a gun and kill her. Yeah. You really seem like the type Abigail. Right. You know, right. like that hair trigger on you, propensity for for violence. You obviously have a lengthy criminal history. Yeah, yeah. Right? You know, what's amazing about this, too, and I was going to ask you, because you just said for, for legal purposes, hearsay, um, when you sent that email and you were really thoughtful about ambiguity, uh -huh. one of the things I don't think people understand about narcissists is they will lock you into vexatious litigation not because what they're saying is true, but because they can. It's a form of abuse. Mm -hmm. And because I think there's this assumption, like if someone sues, there's a reason for it mm -hmm. or there must be some truth to it. And it's like, no, man, narcissists will sue you simply for you telling the truth. And, you know, without getting too much into it, because I'm obviously not an expert, but I believe Evan Rachel Wood recently just posted that Marilyn Manson dropped his defamation suit against <gasps> He me. did? Oh my yeah, God, that's or fantastic. Or that's something. great. And everyone's like, well, there's two sides to that story. And he just sued her. It's like, you don't understand, man. That's exactly why he did it, so that you would say this. And he needed to smear and take action as a part of this very Hollywood, very PR, like crisis PR plan to blame the victim and mm -hmm. to shift the energy of the dynamic. Yeah. And the focus of abuse, too. Yeah. Put the focus on the person who left and they're the bad guy, not me. Furthermore, after that, um, she sent an email two weeks in response to my email because she forwarded my email to all of the officers that day. And then she responded to it two weeks later and copied me on it. So she sent it to all of her officers. This was about 10 people. And I still have this email. And she said, well, it's been two weeks. And after all I've done for her, she's abandoned us. And yes, she was doing this, you know, errand you know, I'll, I'll leave that ambiguous for the audience. Um, 
for me for during, but she was, I, I was about to have her stop doing it and I was paying her and I'm like, yeah, 20 bucks for six hours. Like, come on lady. Um, and then she's like, but never mind that. Um, I've gone to the doctor and my blood pressure is finally, you know, getting back under control. And, and it was like, what a f- what? Like now all of a sudden you're switching it, trying to get these people to feel sorry for you. Like I just yep. need to focus on taking care of myself. I'm like, what does your blood pressure have anything to do with me? Right. You are responsible for your health. And I can't tell you how many times I told her, you know, what if you just did at the time thinking Scientology would help her more? Cause she also, by the way, stopped doing her own services and coursework while I was in class. So she's not leading by example. And I would see all these issues and problems she was having. And she would, you know, share things with me. And I'd be like, well, why don't you do this? Well, why don't, you know, what if you did this? My natural good hearted self. And then she's well, like, you're not a hypocrite. Yeah. Like, you're, you're like, right. so yeah, if these things work, they would work for you too. Like yeah. you're taking it yeah. at its word. Yeah. Or you want to lose weight? Okay, sure. I'll go get your green smoothie every morning and drop it off at your house. Not being paid for that, of course. I mean, reimbursing me for the smoothie, but not to, to actually do it. But then ultimately never following through on any of those things. And so I had to be like, wow, you're, you're not actually, you know, when I, w- I was reading a lot of self-help or pers- like personal development courses, like uh, Brennan Burchard, I was reading one of his books and, you know, uh, Robin Sharma, the 5am club, and they talk about the importance of sleep and rest and all these great things that successful people utilize. And I'm like, wow, she doesn't do any of that. And she doesn't really you know, we were sleep deprived, which is another way that you can easily be brought into undue influence and, and mind control is the sleep deprivation and the controlling of when you eat food. Yeah, you're exhausted, you're mm-hmm. busy, and mm-hmm. you're hungry. Mm-hmm. And it puts you into absolute survival mode. You're mm-hmm. not using your frontal lobe in mm-hmm. the situation. You're just trying to get through mm-hmm. and figure out when you're going to eat, or when you're going to pay rent. And, you know, honestly, I think that's one of the things society does in a much softer way. Oh, yeah. Is, you know, you have to work in this debt bondage, slavery, consumer output system. Mm-hmm. And you don't get any downtime. You know, remember when we used to leave work? Yeah. And we could, like, leave our phone at home and walk the dog, whatever that is, and not have this constant dread and anxiety. It's why I think broader society... It's always been a little culty. It, it is at peak cult right now. Some might mm-hmm. argue a death cult because there's this nihilism to it as well. Yeah. And it's it's a wild thing that I don't think people check in with. Like if you have a job where you your heart rate is constantly up, you're constantly in some trauma response, fight, flight, fawn, for it, something like that. You don't sleep. It invades every quarter of your life. And like an addiction, destroys other areas of your life. Like you mm-hmm. can't sustain a relationship. You can't have a hobby. You can't take care of your body. All these other things. Mm-hmm. It's it's a problem. And I, everyone's thinking they if it's cult thinking. If I can just bring her her green juice for another week, I'm going to land the big role and I'm going to be the one who gets out. Yeah. You're not going to get out. No. Because it's a the cycle. always wins. That's so. Uh, and what what you were saying about uh, that. I don't know why this made me think this, but um. Oh, because of the the being in survival mode. The other thing, when they keep you walking on eggshells, because you never know when they're going to explode in rage and either mm-hmm. verbally or physically attack you, because I witnessed and experienced that as well. Um, you're constantly like, ah, I can't do anything. So, so that keeps you also in survival mode. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things also that happened with that space away is I was spending a lot more time in nature 
and kind of reconnecting with spirit, which is nature has always been my safe place. I had a very strange experience where I was hiking and I walked almost onto a dead hawk. And as I just got the chills, as you know, as a shaman, uh, that's a pretty powerful message. And later that day, I was walking down the sidewalk and I saw, I think it was a dead hummingbird, but it could have been any bird. And I was like, all right, this is weird. I started finding feathers everywhere. I started seeing the angel numbers. I started having um, dreams with animals in them, recurring dreams with the same animal and recurring meditations with the same animal. And then that animal showing up like, oh, here's a calendar from this nature place you donate to. And what's the calendar of? Oh, it's all wolves. And you're like, I'm sorry. Like, what's going on here? And I also, um, within the span of a month, I think I sprained my ankle. I got deathly ill, vomiting for no apparent reason. And I was like, oh, something's going on here. Something's going on here. The word shaman means wounded healer, by the way. Mm -hmm. And you you can tell you're getting your, quote, medicine because you're a wreck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a whole thing. And it's funny because I now, I know you and I've since seen posts of hawks everywhere and they're very much alive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you having this totem animal shaman wounded healer experience coming out of it is proof that, you know, to me anyway, spirit's real. It wants oh, you yeah. to plug. You seriously red pilled yourself. And I don't think people understand the courage that that takes number one Scientology whether she was active with coursework or not is famous for retaliation for torturing people for uh-huh. stalking them and photographing them and going through the trash like I read Going Clear there's a great documentary called Going Clear yeah the Danny Masterson rape trial right now the oh, testimony in that because he's a high level Scientologist mm-hmm. of what happened to the women coming forward and, and saying this person sexually assaulted me including by the way the murder of pets it's a whole thing. And so you were really, really brave. And I always tell people there's this like state of exile you got to go in on a spiritual journey. It doesn't matter what kind, mm-hmm. where you're all kinds of fucked up, banged up, confused, sad, empty. And you're like, I had this thing that filled so much space and it's gone now. And you have to sit in that void, mm-hmm. you know, which you don't think at the time is a container for something new. You're just like, what like what is this what even is life and to have the resilience to see that through to the other side and get the new stuff and also for you to not turn your back on people on wanting to work with people on wanting Uh to be creative and spiritual is wild to me it's like the psychological olympics (laughs) and so to me you're proof that like you can you can do that and the sky didn't fall you didn't explode you're still working. You're probably going to be more successful than ever. I'm sure you know that now. Yeah. Like, like poor Bonnie and Nexium was like, wait, like I joined this so I could be like more successful. Yeah. Not like... so I can live in Albany and walk around with this weirdo at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and the proof's in the pudding. Like she, she left Nexium. She's back in a goddamn Star Wars movie again. Yeah. Right. And thriving and doing her psychic practice. And we don't really, this is the myth of our societies. You don't really need these systems of abuse to uh-uh. succeed. And so to that end, I mean, what would you want to just share with people? And I think we've covered that it's not just about formal cults or MLMs or things like that. It's, you know, there are these dynamics everywhere. 
I don't know if you've got red flags for people or if you have recommendations for someone getting out of any kind of an abusive course of control environment, uh-huh. like, you know, domestic violence, financial abuse with a partner, anything. Uh-huh. But I think people could really benefit from your pearls at this stage. Yeah, I I think um, absolutely reading Out of the Fog by Dana Morningstar. Um, obviously, I'm going to say check out my Substack. <laughs> Because I have a yeah, huge... your subject is great, and you're not a... as long-winded or angry as I am, so <laughs> oh, you'll enjoy that. I have a huge list, at, almost at the end of every post, of resources that I've pulled from that have been very helpful. There's also a cult expert. His name is Steven uh, Hassan or Hassan. I think it's Hassan. He has uh, many books out and a website that can give you a lot of background and information, and I use a lot of his facts, and he has the full descriptions of what that type of um, behavior looks like and those red flags. He's the bite model. Guys, yes. Right. The bite yeah, model. The bite so model's amazing. It's an acronym, guys. Yeah, yeah. Behavior, information, thought, and emotion. And it has to do with control. So he gives you examples of what behavior control might look like. Information control, thought control, emotional control. Um, I One of the things is I will say I am, I have now calmed the hypervigilance and I've now just sort of uh, remained uh, alert. I would say I have a new alert system and actually owl is one of my animals that I work with a lot so that I can kind of see in the night and see through, uh, any sort of deception. And I'm always suspect, I'm always skeptical now. I'm always yeah. skeptical, any group situation, anything at all. I'm always like, okay, I'm seeing it and I'm noticing it and I'm just going to sit with this and I'm not going to move either way. I kind of have paused I move a little bit Embracing slowly. No action is one yes. of the hardest. I have a hard time. I like a yes or no because I run generally like I- I'm like a hidden anxiety case. Uh-huh. I don't like open items. And I've recently in the last few months just allowed things to be a little bit more. And it's uh-huh. it's crazy how much stuff works itself out. You don't really uh-huh. have to be a hard yes or hard no or figure everything out immediately. The other thing that... Um, strikes me about what you're doing now because you have a healing practice and i i am going to mention the events you have coming up in your okay. Etsy shop because i i want people to support you and buy your art and buy your aura clear which by the way i'm going to buy because i need all the help i can get to get ready <laughs> um but boundaries are a problem right now everyone i talk to as a small business is purchasing firearms or tasers i mean these are like witches with tea shops these are not like ex-military people but People are getting wild lately. And I would say, you know, to call it a tantrum is gentle. I've had some interesting death threats when I wouldn't accept like a walk-in appointment in my home, by the way. And my home is not public information, my address. So how are you with what you've come out of? How are you navigating the realm of boundaries at a time when they're, in my opinion, at peak crazy to to deal with with other people you're a healer you give good vibes you i'm sure give good zoom and you have crystals and people who are in trouble who need help are going to gravitate to you and they're not always going to understand that you're a human being too yeah so what are how what are you doing on that help me because i might benefit from some of your best practices Well, there's a couple of clients who one thing I've noticed that's been coming a lot recently, and I think maybe this is, you know, spirit giving us the opportunity to learn boundaries. Um, I've had a couple of clients with readings, in-person readings at one of the I practice out of two spaces in Los Angeles. And um, they have what you were describing earlier is that very grabby energy where they're like, okay, so can you tell me 
is is my mother gonna gonna pass away tonight and you're like um mm, and then i have a traumatic history with that we're not currently speaking because their partner you know keeps them away from us be higher when and 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 i think i would say this to all people who seek readings and i try to tell this to clients as well um if you are restricted or desperate for answers, you are locking down your psychic flow. And part of an intuitive reading or a Reiki session is if you are open and relaxed and calm, then it flows. I mean, I'm empathic, so I tune into your energy first and kind of work in, you know, I use the cards as a map. I tune into your energy and then spirit just kind of comes in when it comes in. I don't try to force it or control it. Um and so when and that's why you get access to it, by the way, yeah. I just want to make that clear is when you're disrespectful with spirit, I joke that they can deactivate your fob. You can't get in the building anymore. It's yeah. It's a real dance. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something I still working on every day. Like some days I'm stressed out and I'm like, wow, I just feel like I can't really like connect. And a lot of times people will go, well, you didn't tell me this information or, you know, I came to you a month ago and, and this was different. And I go, okay, well, I'm going to tell you right now your energy about needing this job or wanting this income is very like demanding. You cannot control spirit. If you, I've seen people in the space that I practice, go to me, go to somebody else the next week, go to somebody else the next week. I'm like, if you're getting a psychic reading every week, you're confusing yourself and you're sending mixed messages to spirit. So it's not going to work. So I try to always empower the client and say, you actually don't need me. I'm here to provide guidance in a time of like confusion or a big shift or to give you confirmation of what you think your intuition is telling you, which is excellent for anyone coming out of trauma that's still trying to reintegrate their own intuition because I had a very smart therapist tell me, oh, you had instinct injury. There is massive psychic damage that happens when you're in a cult or in an abusive relationship can we tell you something? When you just said that phrase, and I've never heard that before, instinct injury, I, I started to fight the urge to cry. Wow. That's that's really profound, and I think more broadly. Yeah. And yeah, it's you you don't it's like what instinct to listen to. Yeah. Something got into the mainframe, into mm-hmm. like your vasovagal mm-hmm. system, something beyond your conscious mind. And mm-hmm. and I've had those experiences as well. And the other thing I'm picking up on, Abigail, is that, you know, you're a practitioner, but like every practitioner I know, psychic, healer, Reiki person, whatever it is, all of them came to their healing modality through their own self-healing. Mm-hmm. They all have their own stories. They all have their own hidden struggles and points of pain and points of trauma. And what you just explained is humanizing the practitioner, yeah. the client, too. and. You know, yes, you you might be coming to see one of us because you have a bad situation going on, but we're also human beings. Mm-hmm. And if you can like allow that, I promise everyone listening to this, the output of the session is going to be better. It's going to be yes. what the Chinese call po energy in Chinese medicine, less clashy and more in flow. Mm-hmm. And also prophecy is an interesting thing. Like you may not get what you want, but you get what you need usually. Yeah. And isn't that better? Right. Mm-hmm. Thank God I don't get everything I want. What a nightmare my life would be. If you got everything you want, you wouldn't have any lessons to learn in your soul. Like, they're, they're, what, what's a soul contract? What's this? What's that? What's the purpose? That's not, life isn't about getting everything you want. That's an ego thing. And people need to be aware of that. So I guess, to and, and to your point, um, oh, I lost it again, but um, <laughs> keep losing it. Um, 
What was I going to say? That's escaping me. Yeah, was it sort of about this desperation for these answers is actually interfering with yeah, the answer? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's an interference. And I guess what I try to do is empower my own clients to say like, yeah, you can come here for support, but you're ultimately responsible for your own healing. And you have to know that if you're in a triggered or an anxious state or a like clenched state, you're actually pushing away what you're trying to manifest. And one of the things I've learned about manifestation is sort of a relaxation and just sort of allowing and putting it out there and working towards it, not just going, I want this and writing it in your journal and having it disappear. <laughs> like actually like, well, and do the work. I think someone push back a little bit, not in a rude way, but say, hey, listen, I'm here to empower you. Mm -hmm. It's a sign of an ethical practitioner. Yeah. And you want practitioners who have trauma that are working on it. If you have someone that has no trauma, then how can they understand what you're going through? I also don't believe it. The world is so goddamn traumatic. I think everyone, I think everyone yes. has trauma. I think everyone has trauma. But if your practitioner is somebody who is actively working on their own trauma, not that they need to be sharing it with you, but maybe you see like, you know, mm -hmm. that they do this work on whatever, or part of their story is, hey, I, I alchemized this through these practices, or I transmuted this trauma with this. That's a great sign, like you were saying, that they're ethical. Because as we both know, in this business that's unregulated, there's a lot of, there's a key phrase that always triggers me when somebody says, you know, in a meditation or whatever, like, we just want to get out of our heads and into our hearts, which is true, you know, because you do want to tune into your heart and your gut. But I'm always like, it's hard for me because that's also something that's a lot of cult leaders or manipulators can use to kind of get you to stop using your um, logic in your mind to actively your observation skills to go like that's a little funny over there um so 100%. yeah and i have a thing too about the whole like well we don't need to talk about that or we don't need to worry about that or you seem like, I, I get a lot of um unsolicited you seem really uptight uh you know we went to anarchapoco and i'm uh -huh. gonna more on that to come abigail as a listener of the podcast <laughs> My husband was with me. I was exhausted. I traveled all day. I'm not one of those people who's like good at traveling. Like I get hungry. I get tired. Right. And it was the first night. It was a big party. And I wanted to meet Lily, my friend in person. And there was this other just person there. You know how that happens? Oh, yeah. You're like, like I didn't want you here. <laughs> you were in that HBO show. I was like, oh, my God. Right. And Lily's being super gracious with them. But they're looking at me and they're like, well, just so you know, your spirits are saying. And I go, no, no, no. I didn't give you consent. I didn't ask for permission. And I'm trying to, and my husband, I could feel him tense up, sleeper cell, who everybody thinks is a pushover, and he's not at all, by the way. Trust me on that one. And finally, I said, hey, for the third time, no, thank you. And she was like, you know, you seem really uptight. You need to work on that. I was like, I didn't ask you for feedback. And um, those situations are really uncomfortable uh -huh. for most people. Like, it's uncomfortable for me. But if you create rules ahead of time, and you understand, mm -hmm. like, I don't give readings without permission ever. Last thing I want to do is work on my time off. I had a beer in my hand. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, just shit like that. And that's a big red flag for everybody. If you feel uptight, let yourself feel uptight. Yeah. Feel whatever you're feeling. Think whatever you're thinking. And the other thing that happens in our woo world, Abigail, and, and it's also a good thing, but it has a negative side is don't judge other people. You're being mm -hmm. judgmental. And I'm like, yeah, but also, you know, in the words of Rust Gold from True Detective, if you ain't judging, you ain't living right. Because the other <laughs> word for judgment is discernment. Yeah. If somebody gives you the heebie-jeebies or you think they're being weird, you know, 
part of that's your defense system activating. Yeah. It's not just yeah. being a bitch, right? And I think for women, we get that bitch moniker mm-hmm. a lot when really we're like, no, I just kind of know what temperature the room is right now, actually. Yeah, yeah. I've had a couple of practitioners just went, just saying hi to them. They're like, so what's going on with? And I'm like, uh, I didn't, I don't know. Because that's also, if you're working on something yourself and you know where you're at and you've got your guidance, you know, but we're also human. So if somebody comes in and says something completely opposite that you're like, wait, I'm, I'm confused, which is also to the point of what I said about people that go see multiple practitioners like once a week, that like slow it down a little bit. You know? So they don't know where you're at emotionally and psychologically. Mm-hmm. How do they know they're not going to poke the wrong thing? Like, are they going to be there for the aftercare? They're going to take care of you when you spiral or when you have to miss a meeting in the afternoon because now you're having an emotional release you weren't planning on. Uh-huh. And there's just so much stuff there that's unseen. And uh, mm-hmm. to poke at it is a real problem for me. And I get I get quite animated, as I'm sure Lily <laughs> recalls. I've never, it was hilarious. I just kept repeating myself. It's like... My no, new thing you. I do is I just say the same phrase again, thinking like at some point it's going to be so absurd hearing me just repeat myself. <laughs> you're going to stop. And it's, it's like a cartoon. Um, so you've got events coming up. And, you know, by the way, Abigail, as an aside, I'm not doing because, you know, I'm not full of bullshit and this is not an infomercial. I really am going to schedule Reiki with you. OK, uh, I'm taking not a break, but a relative break in June. And I really think if you're a practitioner, you're listening to this, sometimes receiving seems like the last thing on the list, but mm-hmm. it, we know better than anybody. And yet we forget. I said, I was like, I need to go get my own Reiki and I keep forgetting. <laughs> yeah. The retreat to move forward. It can help you with business. It helps you with everything. So I'm going to do that. But if you are in the LA area, guys, uh, Abigail is doing some events at on June 5th. She's teaching Reiki meditation class in LA. June 11th, Art Alchemy Workshop in L.A., June 24th, right after the Solstice um, Art Makers Festival with your uh, Aura Spray, which I'm also going to get right now. And then July 27th, it looks like you're doing meditation or Reiki drumming for heart opening and grounding. And uh-huh. Abigail, I'll include your links. Everybody can look at your website, your social media. They can register. They can find out the addresses for these things. You have an Etsy shop. What's the name of the Etsy shop again? Uh, so sacred, I, th- I think it's Sacred Healing Art LA. Yeah, Sacred Healing Art was taken. So my website and my Etsy are both Sacred Healing Art LA. Me too. That's uh, why the ATX is in there. I'm like, well, whoever has totem readings, I own I own the trademark on that. So I'm going to have to get to the bottom of that. Because if you own a mark, you have to defend it. It's this whole thing people don't really Yeah. Like the impetus is on you. I'm going to go ahead and get some aura clear. I will just say for the record, I love your art. And so if someone's looking to support someone who makes real things, which we need desperately in the age yeah. of AI, take Skynet oh, taking over, please take a look at it, consider it. I mean, getting art that has a story, that has actual crystals in it, that ha- uses color therapy, all these various mm-hmm. things that can shift your thought process, your state of mind, your energy. I mean, even putting it in a little area where you meditate. I have this huge Japanese silk screen. You haven't seen it. It's all earth tones. And it has mm. chrysanthemum and two um, guinea hens, like these little landfowl on oh. it. And it's the whole room is always dark. I go in there and it's just that hit of earth energy uh-huh. that I need. It totally shifts my, my state of mind. I had a client, Audra, step in there one day. She goes, whoa, what goes on in here? And I was like, <laughs> Because it's this dense gravitational pull. Yeah. 
That's yeah. the thing with that's the thing with art. I I actually did a Substack article about it a, cu- a couple of months back about um I went to the LA art show and I was just like it th- the power of art to shift your energy. That is why artists exist, whether they're musicians or writers, because storytelling is the oldest profession in the book, maybe next to prostitution. <laughs> it's a form of art. Yeah. <laughs> but that is actually why I need not prostitution. Why I named my company Sacred Healing Art is because I think the act of creating art is sacred. The act of creating it is healing for the person who's creating it. And then as you're giving it to someone else, that exchange of energy and what it brings into that person's world is healing. And it's then funny. The- yeah, that's the write-up in our little booklet for the alchemist card, almost mm-hmm. verbatim. Oh, oh my God. Oh my God. I don't, cause I've, I don't think I've ever pulled that card. So I don't think I, I read that, that part yet, but, um, yeah, and I think that healing is an art because yes, you are trained and you do all these things, but what I've, and I'm sure you feel the same way, a lot of the things that I've brought into my practice didn't necessarily come from a program and a training with a certification. It came from things that I've learned throughout life. When I did my Ricky attunement, I was like, this feels like something I already knew. Like I'm remembering something like this is kind of weird and magical. Like what's happening? I tell people that psychic work always feels in the brain like remembering. Mm -hmm. Even when you channel, it doesn't feel like new information. It feels like remembering. Yeah. Right there adjacent to the the neurological feeling of a deja vu to me. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what it's like. So in that regard, I think that, you know, doing Reiki or, or doing healing, there is an art to it because you're working with spirit and the energy of that you know, soul and body in front of you. And you're just kind of like, no Reiki session I do is the same. They're all different. Um, so I just, yeah, that's, that's why that's the sacred healing art story. Well, and to that end, you know, I hope it's cool with you. We pull a card. Hey, let's do it in tarot deck. And, and in a funny way, what I was thinking of for this is kind of like what's in the cards. And so it's not just a reading for you. I would love your feedback and what you think this means for maybe all of us and and what's coming you know okay so let's go ahead and take a look and i really did shuffle because guys none of this is phony even the i always find it works out better when you just actually do it instead of try and stage it i'm an over i'm an over shuffler i love shuffling <laughs> i love it too oh this is a good one i, I got chili willies so eight of moons from the deck is all about spiritual restlessness and wandering Mm -hmm. and time spent alone in quiet contemplation and like that little itch you get that moves you forward and we were talking about the exile and the void Mm -hmm. and the in-between place and it's it's not bad to be in exile because when you're out at the borderlands that's when you pick up the little things that the tribe back home doesn't have Mm -hmm. and you bring it back and it's your value is in your wandering a lot of times, but it's also a card, I have to tell you, of taking time alone to quietly meditate. You live by the ocean. So it's a card that's also associated with being by bodies of water mm. and like limestone and feeling that like psychic amplification that happens in those places mm-hmm. and just being near things that are elemental. So it's funny because it's like the opposite energy of a lot of group workshops and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it might be your own personal practice is really going within. Are you planning a trip by yourself or something? Um, not by myself, but I have been feeling because I have the the Venice Fest that you mentioned. I have that on the 24th mm-hmm. and I'll have all my artwork there. And I'm like, well, I'm going to need to create some new artwork. So I've been a little bit, you know, 
feeling like, all right, I need to spend all this time alone. I'm also launching a new product. That's a little bit of ritual herbalism magic for the body. Um, and, uh, I'm like, okay, I need to spend a lot of time alone because I can't get the information I need. Like the paint, I have to meditate and channel and to create a painting. It's not just like, oh, this looks cool together. It's a process. And the crystals sort of are divined into where they want to be. And then they rest there. And I'm like, is this right? And the spirit says yes or no. And then if it's not right, we, you know, move forward. So it's like a couple of weeks of a process. Yeah. So I have been feeling like I need to take more time alone. But it's interesting that you say that as well, because I'm thinking collectively, you know, it's all over social media. Everyone's talking about the awakening, the awakening. And my feeling is always like, you can't get to the truth unless you're alone. You can't get freedom from that abusive relationship or you can't find your way out of that cult or that MLM or whatever it is unless you spend time alone and you start to unclog the mainframe yeah, and sort of defrag your, your hard drive and go, totally. wait, this is actually me. I don't subscribe to these things at all something needs to shift and it's really scary to shift and it's crazy because you said to me like i i just don't know how you still have this this hope and this trust and spirit and i don't that doesn't even cross my brain i just go well this is what i'm supposed to do and what you were saying about going alone from the tribe finding the pieces and bringing them yeah. back i feel like part of my purpose is finding the things that heal and then presenting them to people and to uh our conversation that we had before this about sacral dominant people yeah. Um, I get very frustrated easily when people don't hear that or they don't see the benefits of it or they resist it. Like I have people that I'm very close with and I'm like, come on in for a session. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'll give you the friend rate and have never taken me up on the offer. And I'm like, wow, really? But at the same time, people kind of have to come to it on their own time. You can't really yeah, resent that. But I, the other thing I just thought of with this card, I this is so stupid, but it's not stupid. I saw this meme and I posted it to my stories because I like being passive aggressive with society <laughs> on my Instagram stories. And it's the meditation versus endlessly scrolling thing. Oh my God. And uh, with meditation, oh no, feelings. With the scrolling, ah, no feeling. And <gasps> so this idea true. of like, you know, meditation's so boring, it's stimulating. The scrolling is, it's so stimulating, it's boring. And I wonder if part of like this alone with spirit thing, but also people's resistance is there's no, they like the noise. They want to be in the noise. They want to be stimulated with stuff. And some part of them knows if they take that time out, they come see you. A lot of things are going to come to the surface. A lot of mm -hmm. things are going to move. I've had, you know, when I saw people mostly in person in Chicago sit down and they would just start kind of and look at me and go, I have no idea what this is about. And I go, I know your energy body and your body know that you haven't had a break. You know something poignant is about to come up or mm -hmm. we're going to talk about it. And you're already having an emotional release because you're you're in such a state with the cult. Mm -hmm. Like, you know how it is. If you probably got a little quiet window with a cup of coffee or something, Abigail, you were probably like, what is coming up in my body? Like, what the F even is this? Because it's right there at the surface all the time. Yeah. I, I I have a hard time with the noise and I have to limit my my social outings. And I think with the pandemic, when everyone got to spend that time alone, the world kind of shifted into two realms, the people that yes. couldn't handle it and the people that embraced it and were like, I need this. And they stepped forward. And that's this whole like awakening thing. I think it's 
their spirit is still saying like keep spending time alone because the world's kind of started to return to normal whatever that is yeah or or like a worse version of the before times the eight of moons card for me it's funny i'm surprised that didn't come up in the sagittarius full moon card Mm -hmm. pull i did on substack because it has that nostalgia energy of you know we were neurologically different in the aughts when we weren't constantly overstimulated we were almost like a different species that was such a profound post because i felt like you were talking to i like i got emotional it felt like you were talking to my child the abby you know the the fight i went by abby when i was a kid the five-year-old abby who would just sit in the backyard and like talk to the animals and the fairies Mm -hmm. and play in the grass and you know, we, I didn't grow up with cell phones or I didn't even have the internet until like seventh or eighth grade, maybe. Me too. Um, and we used it to play the Oregon Trail, which is hilarious. <laughs> it wasn't high speed internet. Yeah. Yeah. There's something, I actually don't own a TV and I purposefully don't watch a lot of television. Um, I, I do turn to movies if, if I think it's going to be a good film because I think there's a lot of um, culty programming and, and subconscious messaging and mind control that goes on, not just in advertising, but in television shows. And, mm. you know, you look at the creativity right now and I'm like, I'm sorry, what are these remakes of, I'm sorry, 21 Jump Street, Basic Instinct? We're doing all these remakes. We're remaking Disney classics, all these things. It's like, where is something new and original? Where is something that's going to open people's souls, make them think, you know, we're just in a human like, story. Yeah, yeah. It's like, so my favorite comedian, Tim Dillon, no one would think of him as a spiritual leader, but I do. I joke that his podcast is going to church because he's rude and it's satire and he's dirty and he's funny. But he was talking about the Banshees of Inishirin, you know, that new movie. Oh, yeah. And Feral. Mm-hmm. And I saw goes, it. It's a story about people. Yeah. And he realized what a miracle it is and how starved we are for you know, sort of the spiritual miracles of everyday human interactions that like mm-hmm. living as a human is a form of expressive art with spirit, with material reality. And mm-hmm. yeah, I love comic book movies. I know I'm one of those dorks. I can't help it. I grew up on comic books, but it's at a certain point you want to see the Banshees of Inishirin. You want, you know, you want that thing again and yeah. to get back there and, you know, Phantom Thread right the mm-hmm. story of these two people and he spoiler alert eats mushrooms to be normal and yeah the the miracle that we just are already and having mm-hmm. a piece of art that features that so it's interesting while i like the eight of moons for you and for all of us honestly i think it's funny yeah and and, and the miracle of nature is what the you what you said yeah. made me think of too um, you know, when you get out hiking, I, I would love to go out hiking and actually not see someone taking a selfie, taking an Instagram reel, having their boom box playing, which is, I think is highly offensive to the trees and the creatures because they didn't ask for that. And you're being very invasive and egotistical. Um, I go there for peace and quiet and looking at the rhythms of nature, the seasons, we have seasons. We're not meant to be hustling 24 seven. And just the fact that a flower blooms in this perfect geometric way that there's this symbiosis that the bacteria forms here so that this can happen over here. That is a miracle. And when you s- approach life that way and you spend that time of uh, aloneness and disconnection from distractions like the phone, you start to notice those things and then you see the wonder yeah. and the magic and you have this, like like in nostalgia, you're, you're approaching life from a more childlike view. And I think maybe that's what kind of keeps me connected to spirit, despite everything that's happened and keeps me moving forward is 
I, I, like you said earlier, I'm, I am an optimist and I really do believe in the power of spirit and the power of a spiritual practice, whatever that may be for someone and the power of love being louder than everything else. And it doesn't seem like that right now, but I think the more people that shift into that, then the better off we're going to be collectively. There's, I mean, these ancient technologies, shamanism, these ancient wisdom, this, this stuff, it exists because it works. We're so caught up with the flash of all the new stuff that we've, like you said, in nostalgia, we've forgotten the effectiveness of those old tools because they're not shiny and new. So blown away by you, Abigail. Thank you. And and the spiritual world needs more people who kind of walk the talk. Mm -hmm. And I've kind of had it with people posting about their, uh, their digital detox and i'm like but you're on instagram <laughs> like <laughs> it's wild like just do the thing and, yeah. and if we all did it to your point it would it would have a cumulative effect i think and if that makes me regressive and old and boring like i'm kind of cool with it because flowers are really good company and lizards are are you know hilarious friends and yeah i'm like it's okay i don't have a lot of fomo with it so, yeah so. yeah well, Abigail, thank you so much. We'll include everything in the show notes. You guys, if you're looking for an in-person reading in LA, an online or remote reading or service, reach out to Abigail. She is ethical, which is like 98% of the uh, the needle moving shit with <laughs> woo. Trust me on that one. So thank you, Abigail. Thank you. Thank you.